Welcome to Thinking Too Hard About Anime, an episode-by-episode discussion of a beloved animated series. It's a little bit of history, a little bit of analysis, and a lot of over-examining the Japanese cartoons we love so much. I am your co-host, Noah Carden, and joining me, like usual, is... Aaron J. Shelton. We're here to cover Cowboy Bebop, as I'm sure you've you've noticed by now, and we are getting into Session 5, Ballad of Fallen Angels. This is a, this is a doozy. This is a big one for the overall show. Yeah, and it's not... Uh, we'll get into it. Okay. We'll, uh, I'm not a fan of the meta plot, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it after the synopsis, because here's what happens. Spike goes to investigate a bounty on his old boss, Meow Yen Ray, who has been murdered by Spike's old comrade, Vicious. Uh, despite Jet's constant warning, Spike willingly goes into a trap laid out for him at an old church. Uh, Faye somehow gets involved and becomes bait again. We get plenty of flashbacks to Spike's life before uh, he and Jet were, were bounty hunters, or at least he was a bounty hunter with Jet. Also, I heard it as Mao Yenrai. That may be the case. I am okay. sure I am mispronouncing it. So, uh, a little production notes. Uh, the director of this episode is one Tetsuya Watanabe, and the writer was Michiko Yokote. And we get another major character introduced in this episode. Um, he's not a he's not a recurring character. He only appears in four episodes, but we get the dark side to to Spike, his his former compatriot Vicious, who in Japan is voiced by one Norio Wakamoto, who is a legendary voice actor. He has voiced uh Cell from a little show called Dragon Ball Z. He was uh, Chio's father and Azamanga Dayo. Uh, he voiced Dracula in Symphony of the Night. And he's also uh, M. Bison in Street Fighter 4. Man, what is a man? Yeah. Pitiful pile of secrets. Well, the 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 Japanese version of that, yes. Um, yeah, pretend I said that in Japanese. Yes. And you'll get what I'm talking about. The U.S. voice actor is Skip Stelrecht. He is known for voicing Might Guy in Naruto and Ryu in the Street Fighter 2 animated movie. Hmm. That's, that's interesting that there's a Street Fighter connection between the two. Yeah, I did kind of notice that myself. Um, the only other kind of interesting note production-wise is that the song Rain that plays in this episode as Spike makes his way to the cathedral for the, the big shootout and finale of the episode. Um, the version of it that is on the soundtrack that first came out is not the version that is featured in the show. The soundtrack has the final version, which features the voice of uh, Steve Conti, who is a lot of the male vocals throughout the, the series for any songs that have male vocals. Um, the version we get in the show, however, is the demo version sung by Maya Mane, who sings the closing song, Real Folk Blues. She's also the, the the core female vocals throughout the series. Rewatching this episode, it that song did feel different from uh, the soundtrack. Again, because we're giant fans of this, I had, I think I had the first and second OST on mm-hmm. disc. And I remember Rain being much 
you, I, I'm confirming what you're telling yeah. me. Yeah. So overall, I, I'm sorry, guys and gals and people. I kind of don't care about the meta plot in Cowboy Bebop. As much as I love Spike, I'm not too terribly interested in his past and his relationship with Vicious and Julia. Part of it is because I was sold so much on like the episodic monster, the bounty of the week sort of format of the show. And I enjoy that aspect of it. Maybe because it doesn't come into play enough to where mm. it like landed and like got its roots into me. Uh, I reserve the right to change my mind <laughs> as we go through the series. But as of now, I'm just, I'm like, it's interesting, but I feel like it feels like we're at a stop. It feels like a speed bump to a degree. I definitely feel like I like the sort of uh, Spike's past episodes more than you. I do kind of agree that it is sort of a it's sort of a speed bump, but it's I feel like it's it's almost necessary in a way to have at least some sort of through plot. It, it doesn't happen a whole lot. It only happens in five episodes out of the, the 26 that take up the show. But it, it provides like a little more backbone to the series other than, you know, just kind of the, like you said, the bounty of the week kind of setup. We, we get a little bit of getting to see what Spike was like beforehand or getting to see the sort of repercussions of his past life, uh, I think is actually really, really interesting. And I definitely, I think, aside from the finale, I think I do like this episode better than some of the other ones in the the sort of, like, Spike story collection of, of episodes. Um, just because it's, it's this has a very sort of um, Hong Kong uh, action film vibe to it, I think. It's about, like, sort of that heroic bloodshed, heroic sacrifice kind of feeling to it. I, I actually really, really enjoy. So the contradiction with me comes from, like, for example, phase episode, uh, both phase episodes, uh, but like the first one where you learn about her past for the mm -hmm. first time. I really enjoyed that one. And I really enjoyed, out of all the characters, I'm more invested in like phase background. Because mm -hmm. to me, I, that's just the more interesting one. We'll find out why later. Um and so there, there's definitely a contradiction where it's not, I'm not like, oh, I don't want to know anything about the past lives of these characters. Mm -hmm. But I, I can't quite say what it is about Spike's backstory that doesn't engage me as much. Hmm. I'm not, like, I'm not terrified of Vicious. And I don't necessarily see him as like, some great foil mm. to spite uh, thematically and historically. Yes. But like within the action, I don't get that sense. I, okay. I, I can kind of see, I can definitely see if vicious and sort of his, I, I don't want to say machinations because that feels a bit too like mustache twirly, mm -hmm. but like the things that he's doing in the background of the series the sort of moves he is making both 
against other syndicates and within his own syndicate. If that was a bit more, I guess, like spread out, or if there's like maybe one or two more episodes, do you think that you would probably you would get a bit more enjoyment or care a little bit more about Spike's like story there? Maybe. You know, as we're talking, I'm also figuring out what it is about this that that makes me feel the way I do. Maybe it, and I'm surprised to say this, maybe I wanted more information sooner. Because this episode, it gives you, it's great and subtle and that it doesn't give you enough. But at the same time, it's a little frustrating and that it doesn't give you enough. Okay. Uh, especially, so- especially like concerning... As like wonderful and artful, that scene of him falling out of the church where we're getting those flashbacks to his past life. And like cinematically, how like beautiful it is. You get, and I know we're jumping ahead, but like how you see Julia, mm-hmm. uh, his ex-ish, complicated. Uh, her, She's tearing up a note and throwing out the window. And that's, you know, superimposed against the glass window that he just busted through falling out. And like, that's, it's gorgeous. That's, uh, that's cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, get that on a shirt. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> that's cinema. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but again, it's like a little bit more maybe, or maybe another episode like this sooner. Mm. As of now, I can't say exactly why I feel this way. Okay. And well, maybe it's just, the episodes that I rewatch are the one-offs for the most part. Yeah. So it's not as ingrained in my psyche as some of the other episodes. But a- as of now, th- Spike's past is the past I care the least about. I mean, the show is so much, like you said, it's very much the sort of individual Bound of the Week kind of episodes. And that's so much of the show that... You can just kind of go back and watch one of those and not have to worry about sort of the meta plots or like the overarching plot, whatever you want to call it for the show. So, yeah, I guess I, I can I can understand it. I, I get it. I uh, I just I really like this episode. It is. It is. Again, like it's a real good episode. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I've actually got something I want to talk about that actually happened at the end of the last episode, and oh. that's the episode preview for this episode. So if you watch the episode preview, it's Spike talking about him hearing a music box, but not being able to find it, and then waking up with it in his hand, and then constantly like waking up from these dreams, but never reaching reality. <laughs> he does make a, a Shrek-like uh, layered onion <laughs> analogy but it the, the the whole his whole bit is i kind of think it's very much a very spike thing a lot of his character when he got starts kind of almost almost like waxing ph- philosophical or when he starts like talking about his past and things like that he often has sort of a waking dream kind of mentality which is a, a sort of very Please correct me, people out there. Um, it's sort of a Zen Buddhism Bushido kind of mentality to life. Spike has quote unquote died before, um, but he's you know he's back now, and everything is just sort of like this waking dream, this the kind of like walking death that he's going through now, which kind of explains his attitude a lot of the times. He's very sort of aloof 
and he doesn't really get excited unless he's in combat, that kind of thing. He has sort of that that kind of samurai warrior mentality at times. Yeah, it's a very it can be. And again, I'm no psychiatrist or psychologist, but I think it can also be construed as a sort of self-imposed disassociative state where it's it's a def- it can be a def- it's a defense mechanism from getting hurt. Mhm. Uh, cuz he was hurt both physically and, and emotionally by his past. So if you're saying, "Well, I'm I'm just in a dream." The idea that this is a dream state, so I'm not, you know, you're you're distancing yourself from reality can be a way to it, sort of a mentality that can that keeps you safe even when other people in your life are trying to get in i.e. jet yeah and that kind of leads into the relationship between spike and jet in this episode is yeah. the jokey answer to it is that you know here's an old married couple mm-hmm. like i think i think you've mentioned that before in like our overview episode they care for each other but it's like they're there's like this masculine barrier between them where they can't fully express it and it's sort of because again the entire episode jet's like hey man don't what are you doing don't mess with this and there's this wonderful moment where spike is getting out every gun they have (laughs) Pull some guns out of the fridge. Which I which I looked up. That's very bad for guns because of condensation. Hmm. Um, I'm not a gun expert, but the you know 10 second Google search told me don't do that. But Jet's there. He's like, hey man, uh, I found out some information. Uh, he's he's dead. There's no ba- so there's no point in doing this bounty. And then Spike says, yeah, I already know that, and I know it's a trap. And then we pause on Jet. His eyes go wide, his pupils go small. He's surprised. And you can almost see the realization on his face. He says, then what? Your mouths, and he gets cut off when Spike says, I owe him one from before. What I finally, finally realized in this episode is that that is the, I, I want to call it, I want to say that is the first time that Jet realized that Spike was part of a triad. Hmm. Probably, because I mean, they, they obviously, they've been working with each other for a while now, but they've, they're friends, but they don't really worry about each other's past. Like this towards the start of the episode where they're, they're talking about how like, this is like a dangerous bounty and all this and how, uh, jet doesn't have a good feeling about it. And they're confronting each other about like, Hey, why does, why does this matter to you? And spike says, Hey, why is your arm like that? What happened? And they, neither one of them wants to talk about it. Like Spike says, like, I'll tell you when you tell me your story, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of obvious that they haven't really, they haven't ever really worried about where each other came from, what happened in their past. They are just like, they've got a friendly working relationship, but they're not especially close outside of that. Or, you know, they've never really saw the need to delve into each other's past. They're both a couple of bounty hunters. They're not exactly like the most upstanding citizens in the, the solar system, yeah, but that, that, that the relationship kind of builds both throughout the, sh- the show and in this episode, especially when they kind of realize, Hey, yeah, no, we do actually kind of care about each other. At least kind of jet really realizes that, Hey, no, you're like, you're my friend. I don't want to see you go and get yourself yeah. killed over some stupid crap. 
at the beginning of it, it's a very, two things on that. It's a very male friendship move, I think, at least in my experience, where it's, mm. you know your friend is messing up and you're telling your friend they're messing up. But at the end of the day, you realize that like, all right, man, you're going to do your thing. I'm going to let you mess up until yeah. you really, really need me. Then I'll come in, which you don't see explicitly, but you know that's what happens at the end of the episode. Yeah, that's the the mentality. And then it was, of I think, of course, it would be Jet in this moment to, once he finds out about Spike's fat past, and I think it's sort of a quid pro quo kind of moment, but also just, I, I if I want Spike to be vulnerable, I have to be vulnerable. If I want, mm-hmm. if I'm trying to save him, I have to give a little something to it. And he doesn't go into great detail, but he's like, I lost my arm because I was hot-headed and I jumped in too soon into a mm-hmm. situation and yeah. you shouldn't do the same. Chet is only like what? 36 in the show when Spike is like 27, yeah. but it shows that Jet has a bit more emotional maturity in a way and that he's willing to like, no, yeah, here I'll, I'll lay out my stuff on the line. I'll put my cards on the table, so to speak first to try and get you from making a mistake that, you know, it's not the exact same mistake, but it's, a mistake that I could have made or, you know, a mistake I could have prevented myself from making. And I don't want to see you do the same thing. We've been working that like plot line of, you know, Asian experience trying to warn youth and youth Mm. still going off to do their thing because that's the only way we, that's the only way any of us learn Mm -hmm. is by messing up ourselves. It's just, uh, this space Western cartoon (laughs) is so good. (laughs) And, And in like, and I didn't have these sort of realizations about Jet and Spike until I watched this episode twice, which I normally mm-hmm. don't do for the show. But I'm like, I know it's a bigger one and I wanted to pay attention a little bit more. But it took like it took me a few goes to find to to get it because it is it's a little subtle. And to their credit, they don't focus in on it too much. It's there for you to get with repeated viewings. Yeah, like I just think this episode is so good at really building their relationship and kind of showing uh, how much they actually care for each other. And even um, Faye, how much Faye actually kind of cares for these two knuckleheads that she's decided to like tag along with. Um, I mean, you know, they're her meal ticket and everything for the most part, but she does have, you know, a connection to them through friendship or even, you know, there is sort of an, an underlying kind of romance between Faye and Spike in a very, very kind of low-key way. At least I, I've always saw it as that. It really hits it over the head in the last episode. But in here, what they kind of do, uh, if we can jump forward to Spike's falling out the window f- uh, flashbacks. Mm-hmm. The final scene of that flashback is he's recovering in bed and mm-hmm. Julia is, is humming a tune. And, he's te- and he tells Julia to continue. It's making him feel better. He loves it. Cut to the present. Similar situation. Uh, crappier setup uh, because this time Spike is completely bandaged up like a mummy. Yeah. Um, on a couch. And it's just Faye sort of. I don't know if it's the same tune, but it's very similar. Yeah. Uh, so they're, you know, they're trying to do a parallel there. But again, the the brilliant thing that they do with it is he tells he he gestures for Faye to come over. He whispers to her, and in mine, he just says tone deaf. 
yeah, he says your singing is off key in the English version. A good comedic beat. And it's also mm-hmm. a way to, it lets us know, all right, guys, we're sorry. We're going to get back to normal. We're going to get back to these goofy shenanigans. Yeah. There's like, yeah, especially this episode. It's so heavy that you need that little bit of, of levity at the end to kind of make going into the next episode a whole lot easier, exactly like you said. Jet, at least in my version, uh, when he sees this interplay between Spike and Faye, he said, I, I believe, if I was listening correctly, he said, Yare Yardeze. Mm. So yeah. he, made, he made a motherfucking JoJo reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of a... Yare yare does a typically gets translated as like good grief. So he has a, a Charlie Brown moment. Yeah. Did you notice what Jet's login name? Yes, was? I did. <laughs> 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 that like that whole bit so he it's, it's the other like i think the other real kind of like levity moment in my head just because it's jet talking to ein and he's acting all cool hacker man to himself um but when he tries to use deep space which is the search engine that they use apparently he has a login name and it's jet engine <laughs> It's so good. Like, uh, I, just thought it was, I just thought it was really cute. That's uh, such a horrible and wonderful login name. <laughs> I, I'm i guessing this, I don't know if this was a general search engine, the deep space search engine, which was established 2071, according uh-huh. to the screen. So I'm, yeah. I, I'm like, is this is this what took Google? Is, I guess it's it's space Google. Is is Jet? In, I mean, established twenty seventy one. Jet's an early adopter. Yeah, maybe it's like a an updated version of like a a police like record holder or something like that. I mean, he had because he needs like a like a an admin login or something like that. Yeah, but it but it doesn't say like ISSP. Yeah, you know it, that, that's not what's on there. I mean, again, something we can only speculate on. Yeah. He's got that deep, unless it's deep web got replaced with deep space. <laughs> he's on a Tor yeah, browser. A, yeah. Onion browser. Yeah. He's, like, um, well, I'm he's here, also I'm... drinking, uh, drinking a Pipu instead of a Pepsi. I have problems with this. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because as Noah, we're both Southern gentlemen mm-hmm. and we all, I... and I think we, uh, we know the only Coca-Cola that anyone, sh- the only see. That's how deep in my brain it is. The only yes. cola that anyone should drink is Coca-Cola or some sort of ripoff thereof. Okay, I'm going to have to disagree with you because I did grow up in North Carolina about an hour away from New Bern, which is the birthplace of Pepsi-Cola. No, <laughs> you betrayed me. I'm sorry. Like, you. We uh, are... <laughs> We are at an impasse. We are in an impasse. I am a Carolinian and therefore a Pepsi man. Uh, no. And yes, it's uh, you just told me you used to be triad. This is how this be, this is a direct one for one correlation on, on feelings. I'm, 
I'm Red Dragon, you're White Tiger? Or is it the other way around? Which one of us is going to blow up in the helicopter? <laughs> this this show isn't about Cola Wars. But just know oh. that this it, shaky ground from now on. Coming soon, though. Cola Wars. <laughs> the podcast. There's a lot of omens in this episode. The The main ones that uh, that come to me immediately are the, the Ace of Spades that keeps ending up in the uh, the deck of cards that, that Spike is uh, shuffling at the start of the episode. Is that a sign of misfortune? Well, I mean, it's the Ace of Spades. It's a card of death. Is it? I, I, I genuinely don't know. Yes. That's like what the song is about. It's the it's a, a trump card, but it is a can be seen as a a an ill omen. Mm. Um and then there's also when Jet is trimming his bonsai trees, which I think this is actually the first time we see his bonsai. He he accidentally snips off like an entire branch. Uh and that scene actually happens right after Jet, not Jet, right after Spike gets shot in the 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 big shootout in the climax of the episode. Uh, so there's sort of a, an, an ill omen there. I took the more Christian imagery route, which even led me to an article that I shared with you the other day yes. about uh, the top four secretly Christian animes. Mm-hmm. Don't don't read it. <laughs> don't don't find it. It's not very good. It, it's a big stretch. Uh, but this episode, man, get get out of here, Evangelion. Here, there's a new Christian imagery an, anime in town. Uh, so here, here are some of the examples. First, the episode title, uh, Ballad of Fallen Angels. Lucifer used to be an angel, was cast out of heaven. So the ideas of, uh, of demons and angels there. Mm-hmm. At the opera house that Faye goes to visit, uh, the singer is singing Ave Maria, which is the Latin name of the Catholic prayer, Hail Mary. And uh, uh, if you've seen a gangster movie, you've heard Ave Maria. Um, mm-hmm. very popular in that in that genre, so it's fitting that it's here. A little background on Ave Maria. The composition, the music for that song is not originally for, for the prayer. Um, so the music was composed by Franz Schubert, uh, and it was originally used for Walter Scott's epic poem, The Lady of the Lake, which is not an authorian tale. It's very, I think, German uh, mm-hmm. from a couple hundred years back. But Ave Maria is so popular that everyone just assumes that music was created specifically for the for the Hail Mary prayer. But that's in there. Um, sorry, Catholics, if I fucked any of that up. Um, <laughs> the shootout is in a church. So big Christian energy there. Mm-hmm. It's actually based on Notre Dame, which, again, burned down a year ago. Like it, yeah. it has not been that long since it that, you know, that terrible thing happened. No report if it was Vicious or Spike that did it. Well, you know, those grenades, they really... Yeah. Uh... The song Rain uh, implements heavy or- heavy church organ and mm-hmm. uh, some choral elements to it. And some of Vicious's dialogue has references uh, to Christianity. He talks about, again, mentioning how angels are forced from heaven to become demons, uh, reiterating the title. Those are kind of the obvious things, but this one took a bit of digging because of Vicious's bird uh, that, that perches on his shoulder on occasion. Uh, mm-hmm. So apparently it is a cormorant. In John Milton's epic poem, Paradise Lost, the cormorant is a symbol of greed and deception. The cormorant is a form that Satan took to disguise himself in order to enter Eden before tempting Eve. So there's 
you know, strong biblical reference there. In Ireland and in some other places, seeing a cormorant perched atop a church steeple is a warning of bad luck to come. So another another omen. I don't think it goes on a cross, but it does not go on a steeple. But I think good enough mm-hmm. as far as omens. But at the same time, uh, they've been featured on heraldry and medieval ornamentation, usually in a wing-drying pose, uh, which has been seen as representing the Christian cross and can symbolize nobility and sacrifice. Um, so his bird has heavy, heavy uh, Christian uh, symbolism within it. Also, a uh, fun fact, in China and Japan, humans once exploited the fishing skills of the cormorant by tying a snare to the bird's throat and sending it to sea. The snare prevented the bird from swallowing fish, and when the bird returned to the fisherman's boat, the fisherman removed the fish and kept it. Uh, and they did this so much, like, supposedly, in some areas, there were, like, commercial-scale outfits that were just using birds to fish for them. Wow. Supposedly. And then I believe, I don't have the name of this person, so I'm sorry, but I believe there was a Reddit post and it rem- and it got me thinking, that's sort of how I dug in through this. The cormorant is it's an aquatic bird. Uh, it might've been referenced as like a fishing bird or a swimming bird, which is, isn't that what the, what Running Bull calls Spike in episode yes. one? Yes, it is. Ooh, that is a good one. Not, not my idea. <laughs> Someone on Reddit, I'm sorry. But yeah, that bird has got that bird's just chock full of metaphors. Well, damn, that's that that's actually really interesting. I didn't know any of that stuff. I t- I wanted to dig deep for this one because I mm-hmm. knew it's important to people. When you see a top ten list video mm-hmm. and they talk about Cowboy Bebop, they show this fight in it. Oh yeah, like it's this episode is pretty iconic. Both I think in anime in general and also within the fandom of the show. Like the the shootout that happens in the cathedral is one of the best like fight scenes in the series, especially up to this point. Um, and they give they give this whole episode a lot of care, uh, just in the animation in general. Like you get a lot of like really detailed, uh, really detailed shots, just like of the characters, of like the lighting on them, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of um high angles in this episode from like the top of a room kind of like looking down looking down at like an angle on the the characters and things like that and i was actually listening to the episode commentary on this episode with uh wendy lee the voice of Faye, and uh i have it right here uh yutaka maseba who is one of the producers on the the dub um and they they kind of made the uh, observation that there's a lot of like very open rooms or at least shots that very imply a very open room in this, especially in this episode um, that isn't typically something you would see in uh, like Japanese architecture and things like that, because space is at such a premium over there. So you get a lot of like these really big open kind of places that wouldn't necessarily be um, a day-to-day occurrence over there. What's Mars? <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, obviously it's Mars. <laughs> I mean, that whole action scene mm-hmm. is, it's not my, f- man, I'm just, I feel like I'm just making enemies left and right. It's it's <laughs> not, it's very good. It's not my favorite. Uh, and maybe part of it is because of Spike 
and sort of the shift that his character has, or I guess more accurately, the reveal of who he mm-hmm. is as a person. Yeah. Uh, the entire episode, he is we. He is so serious. He might. He. he I think once he meets with uh, Anastasia, his old friend, like that's the only time he smiles, and it's very quick. The rest mm-hmm. of the episode is just deadly serious. I have to think about what I'm about to do. I have to think about my past. And this action scene is showing off the killing prowess of Spike. Before mm-hmm. he was very, I think we talked about this in the, uh, when we covered Asteroid Blues, like it's very Jackie Chan-like. It's like, uh-huh. I'm defensive. I'm not trying to get into trouble. I'm just, I'm sort of doing the bare minimum of what needs to get done. He hasn't, it like, we haven't even seen him kill anyone, I don't think. Oh, uh, I don't think we've seen him kill anybody intentionally, at least. Yeah. I think the only thing that could come close is the last episode with the whole yeah. planting the virus. But even then, that's not like a direct him shooting somebody. No, this, I mean, it kicks off like he shoots the dude in the head who's holding Faye one shot. And then he's just, he is, he is death incarnate. He is, as mm-hmm. he goes through this church. The other thing that like makes it different and maybe throws me off is during this whole action scene, there's no music. From the, like, the organ stops, he fires his first bullet, and music doesn't start again until he gets shoved out the uh, stained glass window. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's telling you to, you know, you pay attention to to the action. It's not trying to make light of it. Yeah, there's a, a very strong emphasis on what is actually happening. Again, I've seen this a bunch, but, like, I was surprised of like, no, not Spike, not my sweet goofball Spike. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he can't be a, a killing machine, but he is a killing machine. Just like Vicious is a killing machine. They just went on different paths. Yeah, and, and Vicious like clearly makes note of that in the, the episode when they are at their standoff. He talks about how he, he sees like the, the beast inside of Spike. And before their their fight actually starts, he talks about how uh, he had to kill Mao because he was a beast who had lost his fangs and therefore he wasn't any good anymore. And he kind of implies the same thing about Spike. And then by the end of the fight, he sees that, no, Spike still has it. He still has that kind of killing intent inside of him. He's still vicious as equal in combat. Uh and he kind of like they kind of both revel in it, and it's you know like you said it's it's kind of upsetting to see Spike in such a a manner. I am, I think, genuinely torn, and I do feel a little bit of betrayal from Spike. It's like, oh, this was in you the entire time, and it's not really hitting me until this rewatch. And maybe I just you know. You gloss it over. It's like, oh, I don't know, jazz, cool action stuff, a mm-hmm. funny hacker kid. Uh, and, you know, those are like a sort of a barometer. Fucking love Mushroom Samba. That's oh, one yes. of my favorite episodes. So that's sort of same where where I'm coming from on this series. And maybe that sheds a little more light on why I'm not too crazy for this episode, even though it's like everything in this episode is, I think, like you said, there's so much care put into it and to mm-hmm. just give you enough information to be subtle enough, maybe too subtle, but like they knew this was a big one and, mm-hmm. and they treated it as such. 
And another kind of going back for just a second, the it, it kind of all ties together, really. Um, the amount of care, but also the sort of level of violence in this episode. This is probably like the actual like bloodiest episode so far, and it's all very vibrant. It's all very intense amounts of blood that you we haven't really seen so far in the show. Like when Spike shoots that first guy, like it sprays all over the place. It gets on like Faye's face as she's stunned for a second. And like when Spike gets shot, when Spike and Vicious stab and shoot each other, all that, like it's it's very intense and it's very striking throughout the like the entire episode yeah i don't even think asteroid blues got to this sort of level of violence like you get like a little bit when like he and um asimov gets like punched in the nose and like when he takes out like one or two of those guys in the bar but that's really about it and it's not like it's not to the same level it's yeah it's so because you're in drug vision as well Mm -hmm. it's so stylized that's not stylizing the violence lessens the violence as far as like actual impact or like actual Mm -hmm. fear of it or like actually showing what violence is. Yeah. It's like, uh, in kill bill when the crazy 88 scene goes to black and white, it's there to kind of take a step back from the sheer amount of like blood and gore going on in that scene. Yes. And (laughs) it was to appease the MPAA as well. That yes, that too. (laughs) No, no less effective, but the reasoning was uh, was financial. Yes, <laughs> that decision. Totally. Hello, Internet. You are now experiencing technical difficulties. We're a role-playing game, actual play podcast. You can listen to us play through various one-shots and campaigns of games, including Delta Green, Eclipse Phase, Worldwide Wrestling, Red Markets, and more. With over four years of archives, there's something for everyone. Tune in with whatever podcast app you use by searching for Technical Difficulties Gaming Podcast or visit us online at www.technicaldifficultiespod.com. Like what you hear? Join us on Patreon for sneak peeks and seats in quarterly games. Thank you for listening and sorry for the technical difficulties. Um, can we talk about Greenbird, the weirdest song? <laughs> yes, we can totally talk about Greenbird. So Greenbird is the title of the song that plays as Spike is falling through the window. Um, it's a little nursery rhymey. It's it sounds like children singing. It's a very weird kind of song. It feels like a Almost like a church song for children. Yeah, singing as a kid in church. Hearing kids sing in church is always off <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to a degree. Um, this reminded me of Alouetta, the the, the mm. French Canadian, which I found this out, French Canadian in origin. Uh, oh. Alouetta, Jante Alouetta. Um, that's off key in the wrong tune, but... There's like a there's a call and response in that song, and Greenbird has a, it's not around like row 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 your boat, but I think there's elements of that in the song, where you have multiple voices singing different parts, also both named after birds. <laughs> um, so this is Buck Wild to me, and you can tell me if I'm either missing a language or if I'm completely wrong. But what 
I was able to discover as of this recording is that this is spoken not in Japanese, not in English, but by a language that Yoko Kano made up. And then one person on the Cowboy Bebop fandom page commented that this was actually written in Enochian, E-N-O-C-H-I-A-N, <laughs> which okay. is another made-up language. Yes, it uh, is. Supposedly the language of the angels. So this is a make up language. Uh, it was found in the private journals of John D. and Edward Kelly, who mm-hmm. were, they were spirit yes. mediums in 16th century England. And they claimed that Enochian angels came down and taught them this language so they could do the magics. Um, so yeah, so I felt like I was going to lose my mind <laughs> if I went deeper into this. Uh-huh. And by your response, I feel like you have a separate answer for what the language is or what these lyrics no. are. So my understanding uh, was more in line with the Yoko Kano side of it. And that is just, it's just gibberish. It is just made up. It's supposed to be something that just kind of sounds good. Um, I would not be surprised if Yoko Kano and her very unusual cat-like nature just decided to kind of come up with her own like twin language, <laughs> which I don't know if you you know about twin languages. Yeah, she nailed it. Yeah, uh, N E L L E D reference to a very to a movie from the nineties. So <laughs> yeah, perfect for this audience. Yes, exactly. Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, so that that is my understanding of what Greenbird is. I, I had not heard the Anakian thing, though. You never know. Like again, one that's it's a comment that I just found too intriguing. Yeah, not to include. If, hey, I mean, if anybody out there listening knows or has like you know their own kind of theory about whatever Greenbird is actually about, let us know. Mm-hmm. We will. We'll totally check that out. So what the scene uh, and the vocalist is credited is as Gabriella Robin, which is a, mm-hmm. uh, a pseudonym for Yoko, correct? Yes. So she's just layers upon layers upon layers of mystery. Like just uh, so much effort put into this make up song. I love it. Yoko Kano is a fascinating individual. The, the world is better for her weird, <laughs> weird musical stylings, I think. Uh, Definitely. Do you want some maybe English lyrics for Greenbird? Give them to me. I found variations amongst various websites. And also, if it's a made up, if it's a make up language, how did you translate this? I feel like there might be like some liner notes and like a special edition box set or something, maybe. So here are the maybe English lyrics. Spring has come. Worms are showing their faces. Little birds are eating them. Spring has come. Children are going to school. Farm dogs are giving birth to puppies. Spring has come. Women are looking in mirrors. Egg pies are baking. That's it. <laughs> and I guess it just repeats a bunch. Oh, man. And some people interpret worms as bugs or egg pies as custard pies, which probably makes more sense. Yeah. Although I like the idea of her writing about fucking egg pies. <laughs> a quiche. Yeah, 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 yeah. So was not expecting... <laughs> This wormhole for this song, but here we are. Well, it's spring. The worms are coming up. Mm-hmm. They're showing their faces. They're getting eaten. So one one thing I do want to touch upon is Annie, uh, aka Anastasia, who is a former, I guess former. We're not never really clear. 
she was friends with Mao and another person, presumably her husband, uh, and they were all a part of the Red Dragon Syndicate at some point. But in the scene where we we meet her, uh, she is she does a lot of drinking and she's tending to like a, a convenience store, a bodega, whatever you want to call it. And two kids are looking at some porno mags, and one of them is actually the original design for Ed. What? There's a little white boy and a little black boy, and the the black boy is the original design for Edward. A bucket hat and some braids. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Th- that was that was going to be uh, Ed's original design, and then it got reused as this kid uh, as they try and steal some porno <laughs> mags from a convenience store. I am glad that print had a big comeback in the 2070s. Yes. Yes, it did. Um, well, I mean, you know, they got whole new planets to grow trees on. There's, There's got to be energy costs. Probably have to go to keeping the terraformers up. So it might, it might be more cost efficient to not have a tablet. Uh, see, I was just going to say that the other kid just looks like Ness from Earthbound. Or mother too. <laughs> he's got the yeah, kind of. He's got the yellow stripy shirt. Yeah, he's got the yellow stripy shirt. He's got like a kind of a stereotypical kid voice in my version. He he calls Spike a dumbass. Spike is kind of a dumbass though. Yeah, kind of. Um, but uh, I like I like sort of the the realization on Annie's face when she sees Spike. Uh, the kind of oh shit, you're supposed to be dead realization and. Their whole conversation really kind of like sets a tone for like the rest of the episode, I think. I tried to identify the bottle that they're drinking from, and I could not. The closest I could find is I think it might be like a, a Bushmills, which is a, an Irish whiskey. But if anybody else out there knows, write into us, let us know. I'm really curious to see because in some later episodes, uh, we get like, like Boof Eater gin mm-hmm. instead of beef eater like the kind of not you know not the off-brand kind of thing going on your your somies your peepoos it's so f- maybe we'll dissect this a little more in other episodes even though it's you know it's prominent through all of anime but mm-hmm. it's so funny what anime will worry about copyright law wise mm-hmm. versus japan which is the wild west of copyright laws it really is um yeah i think it kind of depends on what you're adapting and who you can get for like sponsors and stuff like that because i can very clearly remember in tenchi muyo the phones being pioneer branded because pioneer was one of the production companies Mm -hmm. along with you know being an actual electronics company so like a bunch of the electronics were all like actual pioneer brand products. Yeah, I can I can see as a way to say, well, we're not going to advertise you unless you give us some money. Mm-hmm. So you're Wick Donalds. Get out of here. There's actually like some kind of important ones in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Mm, go, go on. <laughs> there's uh, so in the f- the fight at the end of Stardust Crusaders. Don't no, you very- can't. Don't I'm not there yet. Okay. Just so just so you know, only give me the information I need. Okay. I'm just going to say there's a very prominent seven up billboard in the final fight. Is it the spot? No, it's like the a classic like eighties 
seven up just just the big seven up logo with the rig red dot and all that mm-hmm. but is the whole thing and there's also a very it's it's billboards mainly in part four there's also a very prominent pepsi billboard and they they get actual pepsi and seven up branding in those episodes look i'll never forgive the japanese for not drinking coca-cola <laughs> but you do love your walkman i do love it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's probably a Frankenstein in the episode. <laughs> there's not a Frankenstein in the episode. What? So in the fight scene, there's a gentleman uh, who uses a grenade launcher. Uh, and if you look at his face, he has this big like scar, like stitch scar going down like half of his face. And he has like two different skin tones. <laughs> like he is a Frankenstein. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and look, man. Yeah, just pay attention to the guy that that fires the grenade launcher at Spike. He's he's got a big old like blackjack Frankenstein scar. See, this episode is gonna devolve into a one-upsmanship of who watched it the most and who freeze framed <laughs> the most. Oh, if we want to talk about freeze framing, I could talk some very embarrassing stories about my youth. Oh no no no! Look, that's yeah. We should we should get to the next segment. <laughs> so this week's movie recommendation it's going to be a little bit more on the nose uh and i think noah already has an idea of what we're going to talk about but first and i did not know this originally uh so i guess the opera scene where faye enters the box and she sees Mal is dead, I guess is reminiscent of Marathon Man, which is a 1976 film. Uh, and the scene in question is where Roy Scheider's character enters a private opera box uh, to find that his contact has been propped up in a chair with his throat slit. So Marathon Man was directed by John Schlesinger, uh, who directed Midnight Cowboy. It was written by William Goldman, who uh, I think most listeners will know as the writer of The Princess Bride or at least be more aware of The Princess Bride than some of his other works. Uh, It stars Dustin Hoffman, Laurence Olivier, and Roy Scheider. Hoffman becomes involved in a plot involving a Nazi war criminal and stolen diamonds. I've never watched this movie, but I just checked out the trailer and I'm like, oh no, this is right up my alley. 70s crime. Mm. William Goldman, yes, give it to me. Uh, Were you a fan or did you watch the Clerks cartoon? Uh, I remember watching bits of it, but I don't think I've ever actually seen all of it. So they're uh, in the first episode, they are pranking a customer by continually asking, is it safe? Uh, to hilarious effect, I believe the customer was played by Brian Posehn. And this is a reference to Marathon Man. So I knew about Marathon Man before I even heard about Marathon Man. Such is the nature of pop culture. Of course. But what I really want to talk about is The Killer, 1989. Uh, and we're talking about this because they pretty much ripped it off for the church fight. Uh, the Killer ends mm-hmm. in a climactic scene, a, sh- a climactic shootout in a church. Uh, this is written and directed by John Woo, uh, hard-boiled, face-off, hard target. Mm-hmm. Uh, it stars Chow Yun-Fat, Danny Lee, and Sally Yeh. Uh, the plot centers around 
Fat, who plays an assassin who accidentally damages the eyes of a singer uh, during a shootout. He later learns that Jenny has to undergo an expensive operation or she'll go blind. So to get the money for her, he, you know, it's just one last hit that he has to perform. First of all, if you like action, just go find a John Woo movie for the most part. And you won't be disappointed. Yeah. This is not, this is not his first movie. He like, like, I think he was in the double digits by the time he got here as far as uh, director credits, but just so much American action especially Michael Bay style of action is like trying to rip off John Woo. So a little about the film. I think you referenced this before Noah, where it's that heroic bloodshed genre of mm -hmm. film where it's, it's not, it's an Asian film. That's not martial arts. It's gunplay. It's bloody, but it's about the brotherhood and honor, even within like criminal organizations. Uh, Wu said he wanted to demonstrate the honor and friendship between two seemingly opposite people because uh, Chow Yun-Fat plays an assassin. I believe Danny Lee plays a cop or uh, something. Uh, uh, he's in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, and Wu said that the inspiration for the movie came from the comic strip Spy vs. Spy from Mad Magazine. <laughs> Quote, when I was young, I was fascinated with the cartoon. I love it very much. The white bird and the black bird are always against each other, but deep in their heart, they are still friendly. And the idea came from that. They're birds? <laughs> they have bird features, which I thought was a nice sort of full circle moment with all the bird talk in this episode. I definitely think uh, John Woo is like the flavor of the day for this episode. John Woo, known for using doves, in slow motion in his action scenes. Uh, this is actually the first movie that he used that in. Hmm. Uh, and supposedly it's supposed to represent the spirit of people, which I assume he means the spirit of people leaving their bodies as they're viciously killed. And he, he used it again in hard target and face off. So over here in the States, another one of Wu's trademarks are the uh, dual wheel. The hero will dual wield pistols. And we see Spike do that in this episode as well. So another bit of homage there. Uh, Spike gets a Beretta 92 from Annie, which is uh, John Woo's favorite pistol. It's the one that he uses the most in like his films just because he thinks it, it looks the best to him. Uh, so that's kind of a, another little tie-in there. John Woo's my kind of gun nerd, where it's what looks cool. <laughs> And not necessarily, yeah. well, realistically, it would be this gun in this situation. Well, I mean, freaking uh, Hard Boiled has the one guy, was it Mad Dog, I think, mm -hmm. with the um, uh, the handgun that just shoots single rifle rounds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because it's more powerful, of course. Yeah, it's so This cool. makes sense. The same way you can shoot an explosive <laughs> with dead eye uh, accuracy. No, I'm sorry. You can shoot another bullet stuck in a pipe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we love John Woo movies here. Uh, I get, you know, normally we're not as on the nose with the move. Normally, I, I'm not going to put any blame on this on Noah. Normally, I'm not. Normally, I try not to be so on the nose with the movie recommendations, but I think the killer gets hard boiled, definitely outshines the killer in a lot of people's minds. Yes. Um, so I think it's good to put a little more light onto it. But 
Yeah, man. Any any John Woo movie, even well, Mission Impossible Two. Eh. <laughs> face Face Off is a whole different animal. Yeah, uh, Face Off is very much its own bag of worms. His yeah, check out his pre Hollywood work before also, he came. Bag of worms. What am I saying? I uh, you got in, you got you've been infected with the Green Bird virus. Oh no. <laughs> Um, also, yeah, you're right. Hardboiled does kind of get a little bit more spotlight. I mean, it did get its own video game sequel. Mm-hmm. Which I, I, this was when I first got my Xbox 360. Mm. And I remember waiting like a day to download the demo for it. Oh, geez. And it was, I mean, the demo was fun. I, I know it's uh what, it's a mixed bag and reviews, I think. Yeah, typically. But, uh, but you can shoot guys in the balls. Of course, yes. Yes. Why not? That is the epitome of heroic bloodshed. You can slide down banisters. Uh, yeah, that's the one thing that was missing from this. Spike didn't slide down any banisters. Yeah. Or slide up. That, yeah. would, be, that would be a John Wooey thing. If he, like, set up on a banister, shot, I don't know, a tank of gas, uh, a tank of oxygen, and then shot up a banister. Whilst mm-hmm. firing two guns. Again, thank you for listening. Uh, if you like what we're doing, please rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. Please share the podcast with anyone who may be interested. Uh, you can find me online at Aaron J. Shelton. You can also find me on my other podcast, Kame House Party, which is the opposite of this podcast, a comedic rewatch of the entirety of Dragon Ball. Listen to both. Please and thank you. Yeah, do it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Common Otaku. That's K-A-M-E-N-O-T-A-K-U. Um, I don't really have anything else to promote at the moment, but uh, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for listening. You can write into us at thinkingtoohardpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet at us at thinkinganime. Uh, let us know. What you think of the show, if you have any little tidbits or thoughts or, you know, whatever about Cowboy Bebop or how we're doing, please, please, please let us know. Uh, please share the show. Uh, word of mouth is probably the best way of spreading. Helping us grow uh, through word of mouth is probably the best way. Um, and thank you very much for listening. So we will be back in two weeks with session six, Sympathy for the Devil. I am Aaron J. Shelton. And I'm Noah Carden. And we've been thinking too hard. 